Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we could fit in this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode eight, I hope. Eight? Seven? Seven. Seven. Ah, damn it. I was trying to make up for last week, not know what number it was, and I fucked yeah, it up. We're close enough. It's good enough. <laughs> we know how you like even numbers. I know. So I'm just going to ignore all the odd episodes we do. Okay. Just round up. It's cool. <laughs> it's it's eight. <laughs> terrible introduction sarah has a story for us yeah today i'm going to be telling you about anthony hardy or the camden ripper Ooh, literally the reason why i chose this one is because his birthday happens to be on the day that this episode is being released may 31st so it's another gemini another gemini yep gemini (laughs) murderous bastards yeah (laughs) yeah you know not the only ones All right, Anthony John Hardy was born May 31st, 1951, in Burton-upon-Trent, Staffordshire. Oh my god, is this going to be an English one? Partially, yeah. Ooh. Uh, Oh, I'm going to work on my English accent. Oh, we can do that as our closing. Yeah, that would work. (laughs) Cool, okay. Um, He was the fourth of five children of Cyril Hardy. There's no mention of his mother anywhere. But Cyril Hardy was a coal miner and maintenance welder. Family members say that Cyril was a quick-tempered man, a womanizer, and was very distant from his children. Maybe that's why we didn't hear about his mom. Yeah, it could be that fourth of five children from different women or something. Who knows? Yeah, they just didn't want to put up with the shit and took off. Although someone had to raise them. Or not, as we learned in the soap maker. You can leave a child alone at age three. It's fine. It's fine. They'll be fine. (laughs) So Hardy was raised in a lower middle class kind of area, and he had aspirations to escape that lifestyle. He worked hard in school and excelled, eventually going to London's Imperial College for a degree in engineering. Oh, smart boy. Mm-hmm. There he met the woman that he would marry, Judith Dwight. Sorry, Judith. <sighs> Judith was very taken with his charming personality and thought that he was attractive and intelligent. He seemed to be the perfect gentleman, so when he asked Judith to marry him, she gladly accepted. Do you know how long they were dating before he asked her to marry him? It seems pretty quick. I'm not okay. sure entirely, but it it pretty much says soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> and like the timeline's very vague. And soon means different things to different people in relationships, so. <laughs> I mean, this is like early 70s. Yeah. My mom and dad, they got married after two weeks, I think, of knowing each other. Are you kidding? No. Wow. Why? I guess it was just the thing to do. I don't know. Wow. I mean, I guess it worked. Yeah, for a while. For a uh, while, yeah. My in-laws, they knew each other for a very short period of time before they got married. And theirs was just a, like an epic love story, if you will. So I think it was only like a month or, or a month and a half or something like that. Wow, yeah. If you know, you know. 
And they've been going strong since then, so. I have a distant family member who eloped after two weeks and rode off on a motorcycle. Okay, that's kind of sexy, but two weeks? That's like my mom and dad. They didn't have the motorcycle yet, but that was basically (laughs) it. I honestly don't know how long my mom and dad dated before they got married. And thinking about them dating feels weird. Fair enough. They're like just two very different people. They did meet in a bar, though, which goes along with my origin story. (laughs) Just (laughs) loving being at a bar. (laughs) All right, where was I? After graduating, Hardy got a job as an engineer with British Sugar, which was considered a high-status career option. So he he made it. He achieved his goal. Good job, buddy. Yay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Things were working out seemingly perfectly in 1972, and with their new financial stability, they started a family, and they had three sons and a daughter. Yay. Yeah. By his late 20s, though, their marriage seemed to turn sour. Hardy began verbally abusing Judith and their children, and he had drastic mood swings and would snap at Judith for trying to help and support him. Interesting. Interesting. He began visiting sex workers when he took work trips and soon became obsessed with violent sex. Oh, Yeah, and many of the women that he visited would later come forward to say that he would strangle them during sex until they had to actually fight him off. Well, no. Yeah, not great. No. So he's doing this on work trips, too, which is like... Work outings. This was all of a sudden? It seemed to kind of deteriorate over time, and then he started having these cravings, but... um, Okay. Yeah, there was no real timeline for when that happened, because I don't think it's really clearly known specifically. Yeah, it's interesting, though, if he wasn't like that as a kid or a a teenager, and he was, I guess, charming Mm -hmm. to get Judith, and then 28, 29, it's a little late for schizophrenia, but... Yeah. I don't know, that's weird. Yeah, Mm -hmm. real, real sudden mental health changes. And then eventually he lost his job um, when some of the job market deteriorated, you know, as they do in cycles. So he lost his job and his behavior worsened. His abuse towards his family went from verbal to physical. Judith pleaded with him to see a doctor for his mental health, and he eventually went and was prescribed antidepressants, keeping in mind that this is the late, no, this is the mid-1970s, though, so their knowledge and practices around mental health was somewhat lacking. It's like lithium, and that's it. I know, we barely know how the brain works now. I'm on anti-seizure medication for my anxiety. Because the brain's a dumb place. <laughs> yeah, still not great, but even worse in the 70s for sure. Definitely worse. But after a while, Hardy was offered an engineering job in Tasmania, like where Tasmanian devils are. Okay. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. Fun. I, I don't, <laughs> that's the only thing they're known for. Sorry, Tasmania. Uh, sorry, Tasmania. Well, they used Wait. to have Tasmanian wolves. wolves I know. Actually, those yeah. looked really cool. They did. I'll post a picture on the website. Yeah. <laughs> So, of course, yeah, he, he got that job in Tasmania, and they all uprooted and moved to the other hemisphere of the planet. So things were okay there for a while until the mood swings started up again, and he was craving violent sex with other women again. And he eventually decided in 1982 that Judith was holding him back and that she needed to go. Oh, no. So I'm thinking that he was... for Judith. I know. Poor thing. Thinking he was clever, he devised a plan where he would freeze a plastic water bottle, hit her over the head with it... And then when the deed was done, he could thaw the bottle and just throw it away. Right? It's like the icicle defense, (laughs) but you're adding a bottle in. Genius, right? You know. 
He Your thinks he's cleverer than still he is. still on the bottle. Okay, anyway. Yeah. You still have fingerprints and stuff on it. Uh-huh. He's an engineer, though. Mm-hmm. He's some, he's some sort of smart. Except also, like, where was he planning to put her body? Yeah, the, he could get rid of the fucking water bottle, but her body's <laughs> just there. Yeah. There's other evidence. He could try to make it look like an accident or something. Like, she fell and hit her head or something. Yeah. And then also, if he thought his supportive wife was holding him back, what was he planning on doing with the kids? Like, what the fuck, man? Because there was three of them, right? Four. Three Four. three Jesus. boys and a daughter, yeah. But he grew up in a motherless household, so maybe he thought... That he could do it? That he could do it? I don't know. Maybe. That he turned out fine? Yeah, yeah sure, that's a decent point. <laughs> Look at me, I'm, I'm great. I have a murder <laughs> plan for my wife. Yeah. Well, newsflash, it didn't work. He did hit her in the head with the water bottle and dragged her to the full bathtub to drown her further, just in case. Oh, did she get knocked out from the hit yeah. with the water? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. She was sleeping and he bludgeoned her in bed and then dragged her body. But through all the noise and stuff from that, the kids woke up and started shouting and crying, which then woke her up from being knocked out and she was able to fight him off. Good girl. Yep. Then the police were called and he was arrested by the Tasmanian police for attempted murder, but the charges were dropped. Oh, So I don't know if that means that Judith dropped the charges or if they did because he started playing this, oh, I have mental health problems. He had a way of kind of putting on a show and would claim, you know, his mental health problems as a way to kind of escape uh, maybe jail time and be hospitalized instead. I mean, Hmm. you still commit a crime. Yeah. He still physically assaulted her. Yes. Uh, Okay. Charges were dropped. Yeah. She didn't want to press charges, though. That that could have been part of it, because she was the one, you know, going through with all of the abuse and, and trying to just get him help instead of actually getting herself to a safe place. Yeah. Well, and they were in Tasmania, like, far away from home, too. She might have been very alone. Yeah. she She's pretty isolated. So he checked himself into a psychiatric unit in Queensland following the incident, and he remained there for several weeks before deciding to return back to the UK. I'm going to give him half a kudos for that. Yeah, like, it's a step in the right direction, but... But then you just left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Four years later, in 1986, Judith divorced him and gained custody of the kids, and then eventually moved back to the UK herself to try and have a new life. Wait, 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 did he just leave her in Tasmania? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) With the kids? Yeah. Yeah. So she's okay. like, cool. Oh, I thought I thought they all moved back. I together. assumed. No, she divorced him and then moved back eventually, sometime after. Well, maybe it was safer for her to be away from him. Very far away, yes. <laughs> the other side of the planet. Perfect. But when she did move back to the UK and try and start her new life, as soon as Hardy found out, he began stalking her. And she filed a restraining order, which, of course, he broke. Those never fucking work. They don't, yeah. yeah. So then he was temporarily imprisoned, and then upon his release, he once more sought psychiatric help from outpatient clinics where he was diagnosed with vaguely stated peripheral neuropathy and bipolar disorder and was prescribed medication to reduce and manage symptoms. Okay. Sure. So from this time in like the late 1980s to mid-1990s, Hardy was then mostly homeless, jobless, was living in various hostels. In the London area, he developed severe substance abuse, which of course made his psychological problems even worse. 
-hmm. He was arrested a few more times for aggressive behavior and theft. And then in 1998, he was arrested for, quote, indecent assault after a prostitute, which we now call them sex workers, claimed that he had raped her, uh, end quote. But the charges were dropped and he was released. Is it because it was 1998 and you can't rape a sex worker at the Basically, time? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Like, you um, can't rape your wife. Yeah. A later news article reported that he was also investigated for three other rapes, yet there had been insufficient evidence to bring a case against him. So, great. The system is not working. Yeah. This is just so inherently wrong that, like, four separate women who were raped can't be believed simply because their profession as sex workers. Like, that's yeah, just... There's yeah, the totality of people, like, it shouldn't matter. They're women. They were violated. Yeah. Ugh. And it's not like he was in a position of power or anything to, like, make the police, like, think they're lying. He was a homeless drug addict. Yeah, exactly. I will say at least that he was ordered to receive psychiatric counseling then and was treated at a local hospital. But then, of course, he was eventually evaluated and discharged and referred to outpatient care. They then released him, believing him to have been rehabilitated and no longer posing a threat to the public. And oh boy, were they wrong. That's going to be an embarrassing note in his file. Some doctor's going to just be head in hands after this. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit later too. Because that's, that's like a really huge issue, like following this case. Okay, so that was 1998, went through all of that. In 2000, Hardy decided that he wanted to finally have like a place to stay. Um, so sure. he worked in odd jobs and was able to move into a one-bedroom public housing flat in Camden on Royal College Street, which is one of those major roads in the area in Camden and also very close proximity to King's Cross. And King's Cross is an area where there are sex workers frequenting, and that's thought to be why he chose this neighborhood, because it would become his hunting grounds. So is that like their red light district? Kind of, yeah. So King's Cross okay. is a major rail hub where a lot say. of the national rail lines go through at King's Cross Station. And you might also remember the name of the station as where Platform 9 and 3 quarters is in the Harry Potter books. Harry Potter is also oh. there with the sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun facts. <laughs> I did imagine that background to King's Cross when I read Harry Potter. Yeah, I didn't either. Not at all. On December 17th of 2000, a man walking along the River Thames in West London noticed that something was floating in the water, and he got closer to try and get a better look and realized that the object was actually the upper torso of a woman. Oh, just a torso. He's a ripper. Yuck. The rest of her body had been severed at the waist, and he immediately called the police, and they, they went to the scene near Battersea Church Road, where it kind of intersects with the river. And they worked to remove her remains from the river. Medical examiners later speculated that she had been in the water for at least a couple of weeks and that her body appeared weeks. to have been severed using a sharp instrument. Like maybe a sword. Okay, Ooh. I'll file that away, but okay. All right. Also not my first guest. What a strange speculation to make, right? Uh-huh. It's England. Maybe they all get a ceremonial sword. <laughs> Don't at me, England. Some knight came through and just... Cut this woman in half. Okay, so the police re released a description of two distinct characteristics that they could find on her body, or partial body. An image of her tattoo and a twisted lateral incisor tooth, hoping that these would help identify oh. her. So she still had her head attached. This one. <laughs> could do 
dental records, maybe, or something, if she went to the dentist. Yeah. So, they're, I mean, they were right. Soon thereafter, her relatives were able to identify her after seeing the pictures of her tattoo in local newspapers. Yet another reason to get a tattoo. Mm-hmm. I know. We just talked about this, I feel like, right? We definitely did. <laughs> I need to start, Sarah, take me to get a tattoo. Okay. I know a guy. <laughs> I know you do. He did good work. Thank you. The young woman was identified as Zoe Louise Parker, age 24, and she worked as a sex worker in the Feltham and Hunslow boroughs of West London. Her mother described her as a loving and caring daughter, and the family was devastated by the loss. And all of this came around, like, right around Christmas and New Year's. Oh. Mm. The police at this point had no leads in the case and no suspects. They wouldn't have to wait long, though, because in February of 2001, so just a couple months later, three 10-year-old boys were fishing in the Regent's Canal at Camden and happened to pull up, not a fish, but a bag from the murky water. Oh. When they opened it, they did not find treasure, but human body parts. Yeah. (laughs) The Thames kind of reminds me whatever the river is that flows through New York City. I wouldn't fish in it. No. I mean, and they're 10 too, so it's like, you're just, yeah, you're not bringing home an actual meal fish. You're just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. At least I hope not. Just on a separate side note, I just saw this thing where people, like, fish with magnets to find... Oh, yeah! ...things that were dropped, so, I mean, maybe they were doing something like that, too. I don't know. I don't think they've been able to pull up the bag, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Although the magnet seems to make more sense for a river like the Thames. Yeah. Let's pull up knives. There's a lot of shit in there, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay, so they pull up the bag containing human body parts... Police are again contacted, and they ordered a wide sweep of that area for the that entire area of the canal. During the search, investigators found six bags containing various body parts that had all been weighed down with bricks. Oh. Yeah. But not all of the woman's body was accounted for. According to an article released by Bir- Birmingham Evening Mail in March 2001, so like later on that month, The authorities suggested that the rest of her body was either still in the canal, wrapped in bags, or being kept by the killer as a trophy. If Mm. this veers into cannibalism, I'll have feeling? Okay. Well, it's questionable. Okay, okay, I'm here for it. Yeah. (laughs) There there remain some missing pieces to the story. Literally? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The victim was later identified as Paula Fields, 31, of Liverpool, who had been living in the Highbury Grove area and was also a sex worker. Paula was last seen getting into a red car on December 13th. A red car! Okay, every criminal, all all red cars are criminals. Oh no. Wait, my mom drives, well, it's kind of a burgundy color, but... (laughs) I don't know, your mom is sus. (laughs) She's a Capricorn. Yeah, sus. (laughs) An Aquarius moon. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, but this time it was speculated that a hacksaw was used to dismember this body. Okay. Okay. I mean, that sounds in like different cuts, like less clean cuts. If it was right, a so they're not they're not actually linking these at this point for oh, whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. Paula's ex boyfriend, who had a violent criminal history, was initially the prime suspect, but there wasn't any evidence actually indicating that he was involved. So they kind of cut that guy loose, and we're starting from square one. Police were trying to find leads for the murders of Zoe and Paula separately with little evidence and no real suspects. Even though the police initially denied any link between the victims, it was later speculated that the same person might have been involved. In early January of 2002, police were again alerted to Hardy's criminal presence when he was caught in the act 
of pouring battery acid into his neighbor's mailbox. What? Why? <laughs> okay. There was also a report of a neighbor, and I don't know if it's the same one, but a concerned neighbor also told police that they were afraid something was amiss at Hardy's residence. So when police arrived at his apartment, they found that the bedroom door was locked. They broke it down and found the body of a young woman <gasps> inside lying on his bed. Oh, but she might be alive. Sorry, body being dead. Okay. Nope, I, she's dead. I had a positive thought for once in my life. Reports describe that her body had several cuts on her head, bite marks, and bruising, indicating foul play. However, pathologists claim that she had died of a heart attack and not of foul play. What? Okay. Yeah, so they, they found, like, I mean, however pathologists do their magic to discover those things, I'm not exactly sure, but they found out that she had died from a heart attack, specifically. Well, maybe it was because she was being bitten and... And, like, assaulted. Yeah, like, could she not have died by heart attack because of that? Like, yeah. That seems like a very stressful fucking situation. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get that he's a murderer, right? But, like, they're just like, oh, it's a dead body. Like, was he home? Was he immediately arrested or... So he, he was home, but he said he, he didn't have a key to the door... And then what? they broke it down. He was acting as though it was locked from the inside. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's like some weird stuff happening there too. The deceased woman was later identified as Sally Rose White, age 38, and she was a sex worker from the King's Cross area. There are reports that indicate that Sally suffered from brain damage and behavioral problems caused by a birth-related spinal cord and brain injury. Oh. And it That's was believed, just a bummer. yeah, it was believed that her medical condition, which worsened with age and lack of treatment, coupled with her drug addiction, was probably what caused her heart attack. So this leaves Hardy off the hook, okay. and he continues in his filthy ways. What about the battery acid in the mailbox? I don't know. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Like the guy's got problems, you know. Like maybe he's just in a crazy neighbor off his rocker a little bit, but he's that fucking asshole. Don't talk to your neighbors. <laughs> or do so they can know when you're missing. Ah, eh, someone will figure it out eventually. Okay. On December 30th, 2002, a homeless... My birthday. Yeah. A homeless man was foraging in garbage bins for food and happened across something that would take care of his appetite in a different way. No, no, no. No. Once uh, in one of the bags, he found human body parts and was no longer hungry Oh, I mean, wouldn't you lose your appetite? <laughs> he wasn't eating that. No, he was like, no, I'm not oh, eating. Oh, okay, anymore. okay, okay, okay. He found severed sections of two legs that appear appeared to belong to a woman. The homeless man took the bag with the remains with him to a nearby hospital, and the police were contacted. Which, sorry, the I, hospital's like, we can't do we, anything. She's, with, she's like, gone. <laughs> like, what do we do? That's just a piece of a leg. Thank you. Like, nice try, but no. <laughs> You yeah. did try. Good job, homeless yes. man. So the police cordoned off the entire crime scene, which was the area surrounding dumpsters behind a pub on Royal College Street. Mm. <laughs> hey, we know that place. Heard of it. Officers searched the garbage container and found eight more bags containing various body parts. Oh. There was also another torso found in a smaller trash can about 100 yards from the dumpsters. An additional torso. Wait, wait, wait. Like, a lone torso or the torso that probably belonged to the leg piece? Not specified at this point. Okay. Okay. 
The body parts were examined by pathologists who found it difficult to determine the cause of death because the heads and hands of the victims were still missing. So I think at this point mm. they do think that they're two separate bodies that belong that they all belong to. Yet, yeah, yet the pathologists were able to determine that the remains were parts of two different women um, who were likely murdered sometime over the Christmas holidays. Oh. Do we see a pattern? He fucking hates Christmas. <laughs> yes. He hates family holidays. He hates Yule. The Yule. Hmm. DNA con- uh, tests were conducted in the hopes that it would help investigators identify the women. And then an article by the Daily Mail stated that a literal trail of blood led the police to Hardy's door, which, oh, of shit. course, was just located a short distance from where the bodies were discovered. They then obtained a warrant and searched his ground floor apartment where they found a great deal of incriminating evidence, but no Hardy. There are also reports specifically stating that during a search of Hardy's apartment, investigators discovered a hacksaw with human skin still attached to the blade. Yuck. There was also an electric jigsaw power tool and pornographic magazines were scattered about. Jesus Christ. Was there a sword? No sword. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like the the jigsaw power tool might have been able to do a very clean cut. Yeah. I guess. I mean, the hacksaw is definitely, like, shredding. But, like, the, I feel like the... Uh, anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just imagining trying to cut open, like, a chicken with a hacksaw and it's a mess. Yeah. There was a woman's black stiletto shoe rusted on one of the windowsills. And blood was found in the bathroom. And a devil's mask lay alongside a note. Oh, no. Reading Sally White R.I.P. So there was some ah! devil worship happening. There were upside down crosses and black symbols and things like that on his walls. Yeah, lots of dark stuff like that. Sally White, though, we know that name. She was the lady died of suspected heart attack, right? Yeah, in in his room. In his room. Yep. Maybe because he walked up behind her wearing a devil mask or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe he scared her into a heart attack. Because the devil mask just makes everything worse yeah right like can't you be spooked into a cardiac arrest yeah if you have other complicating health problems absolutely which it sounded like she did because she Mm -hmm. had some other underlying medical issues but like yeah there was more more going on than just she died of a heart attack medical examiner person yeah sir sir ma'am so all of this of course is incriminating but by far the most incriminating piece of evidence in the apartment was a woman's torso wrapped in trash bags. <gasps> and there's the other torso? one. Torso. Well, I think oh, it was one torso was torso. found in the trash can in the alley, and then this one hadn't gotten carried out yet. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So where was Hardy? <laughs> the public was notified and warned of the dangerous criminal at large, hoping witnesses might help determine his whereabouts. It was suspected that he'd fled town. However, a CCTV surveillance camera caught him on tape on January 1st trying to fill a prescription for his diabetic medication at a London hospital. Health first. Yeah. Hardy had shaved off his beard in an attempt to alter his appearance. During their interview with hospital staff, the officers learned that Hardy had waited four hours for his medication and that he reeked of alcohol and quickly became panicky and ended up leaving without his medication after they suggested that he go somewhere else while he wait. Hmm. Okay. A BBC News article reported that, quote, a member of the public had seen Hardy with a young woman named Kelly Ann Nickel, age 24, shortly after the Christmas holidays. Family members and police were concerned for her safety, fearing that she might be Hardy's next victim. Imagine her family's relief when she contacted them to let them know that she was okay. 
Oh, good. Oh, God, yeah. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> she had been in contact with Hardy, who had, uh, she said, had repeatedly tried to convince her to go back to his apartment. But she listened to her gut and wouldn't agree. Fucking good. Those instincts Pearl was telling us all Pearl's about. right. Be like Pearl. Be like Pearl. On January 2nd, literally three days after the dumpsters were searched, a local citizen contacted police after spotting Hardy at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children in central London. And the police converged on the scene immediately and found him. And he was promptly arrested and held at a local police station, where he would then reveal the full extent of his crimes. Good, I guess. Yeah. He's been caught. Shortly after apprehending him... Um, the investigators were able to ID the two victims whose remains were discovered at his home and in the trash bin, and they were identified as Elizabeth Selina Vallad, age 29, of London, and Bridget McLennan, age 34, of Camden. Both had also been sex workers and had drug abuse problems. So we're up to five now? Oh, gosh. Elizabeth, Bridget, and then not Kelly. Kelly made it. Sally? Sally White. And then the two original... The two original ones that Paula and Zoe. Okay. All right. So, Hardy's murder murder trial began at the Old Bailey Courthouse in November 2003. During the trial, he made a startling confession by not only pleading guilty to the murders of Elizabeth and Bridget that he was being tried for, but also that of Sally White, who was thought to have died of heart attack from her failing health. All right. And- Thank you. Right. Yeah. Yes. Just what a surprise. Take care of that one too. An article by Hugh Doherty and Finian Devern in the Evening Standard during this time, like as the trial is going on, suggested that his confession discounted the conclusions of the medical examiners that worked on her case, which threw yeah, no into shit. question the credibility of their expertise. Yeah. During the trial, it was revealed how each woman succumbed to their gruesome demise. Hardy was said to have lured all the women into his apartment with the offer of money and drugs. He then, quote, engaged in extreme sex with the women before strangling them. Like the X Games? Extreme? (laughs) That's one way to call it, I think. (laughs) It's bad. One, One word. Other details that came to light during the trial include that Hardy was, quote, a pornography obsessed necrophiliac who achieved sexual gratification oh. by posing and manipulating the naked bodies of his victim uh, victims after death and then taking sexually explicit photos of their exposed corpses. Yuck. Man, well, first of all, you have to figure out that's what turns you on. But then you realize the only thing that turns me on is corpses. Like, that's got to be a disappointing day. Ugh. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> Hardy had taken over 40 pornographic pictures of Elizabeth and Bridget's bodies which he allegedly sent to a friend. The pictures were then later turned into the police, and they claimed that some of the photographs included the bodies posed with various props, including the devil's mask and a baseball bat, both of which were found in his apartment. Weird. If you were on the receiving end of that, like, what the flying fuck? Yeah. Yeah, who is this friend? Yeah. Oh, I got these pictures... Oh, like, I'd be immediately on the phone with the police, like, y'all need to come and fucking get this dude, because this is the shit he just sent me. Like, and this is a lot. Yeah. 40 pictures? Over 40. I think they had said approximately 44, but then another article said 40. I don't know. It's it's over 40. <laughs> oh, Jesus criminy. Interesting friend. Yeah. I mean... 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. After Hardy had finished with his victims, he used a hacksaw to dismember their bodies in his bathtub. Evidence of the victim's blood was found in his bathroom. Oldham reported that when the police interviewed neighbors after his arrest, they claimed to have heard drilling sounds at all hours of the day. So I think maybe the uh, the power tool was also employed. Yeah. Yeah. BBC News reported that the judge overhearing the case, Justice Keith, said to Hardy at the conclusion of the trial, quote, Only you know for sure how your victims met their deaths, but the unspeakable indignities to which you subjected the bodies of your last two victims in order to satisfy your depraved and perverted needs are in no doubt. Yep. Fair enough. Dead on. On November 25th, 2003, Hardy was given three life sentences for the murders. An article in The Guardian Unlimited said that the judge would later decide whether he could ever be released on license. How about no? Yeah, please no. (laughs) Judge. No, please no. Do they not do the death penalty over there? I pr- I think probably not if the EU isn't sending uh, any of the drugs using lethal injection to America. Good point, yeah. Yeah. He just seems like a prime candidate for... Yeah, like, that, yeah. One, that one feels like it's not going to be a false, like, accusation. Yeah. He there. Yeah. It isn't known if Hardy was responsible for the murders of Zoe Parker and Paula Fields. Police continue to believe that the cases are likely connected and also that Hardy is responsible for up to five or six other murders that matched his M.O. Jesus. So he just didn't admit. He only admitted to the ones that he was actually caught for. Mm -hmm. That he sent the photos to his friend. Yes. Yep. Fine. I also realized during this time, um, several reports state that the heads and hands of the victims were never recovered. So, wow. The only, I think the only head that was ever found amongst all of these was the one. Zoe, the first one. Hardy died in prison in November 26th, 2020. That's the best news I've heard all day. Like, that's a good thing that happened in 2020. Okay, one good thing. I'm not, 2020 almost killed me. I'm not going to give it very much kudos. Yeah. But it did kill this other guy, so pro pro to that, I guess. Via via sepsis, not by COVID either. Ooh, Ooh. good old sepsis. Uh, as two microbiologists on this podcast are like, I oh, yeah, get them bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> Nature doesn't want you on this planet anymore. Please remove yourself. Goodbye. <laughs> you might be happy to know that his ex-wife, Judith Dwight, lives in South New Wales, Australia, as an herbalist. Specializing in remedies to heal and soothe physical and emotional ailments. That's awesome. It's There's some witchy woo-woo. shit. It's very woo-woo, but I love it. Yeah. It goes It goes one step too far in the witchy bullshit for me. I would never use it for my physical ailments, but I'm no, glad you burn sage. Not for my physical ailments. No, no, but for emotional ones. Well, yes, I have a lot of those too. Yeah. I'm glad Judith is happy. It sounds like a, it sounds like a fun thing to do. Yeah. And that she's alive and living her life and hopefully all the kids are doing well. I couldn't find any information on them. She was hard to find too. But Well, yeah. they were with her the whole time, so Yeah. Hopefully not too scarred. Probably from, okay. I mean they did witness their dad trying to murder their mother. Yeah, that's therapy. Yeah. So yeah, Hardy was a Gemini. He had two different personalities. <laughs> He really did, like... Yeah, clearly. He took it to two extremes. Unfortunate extremes. 
I was just so surprised still by that sudden change. Yeah. It just makes me think that there was something, I don't know, some sort of trigger, whether it be some sort of chemical imbalance in his body or maybe some sort of substance abuse or something, like just to kind of flip on that switch from being, you know, a charming and, and loving person to his wife to then just one day deciding that he was going to be sexually aggressive and then start murdering people. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a huge switch to flip. I feel like usually that kind of thing coincides with a head injury. Yeah. Or like something really drastic changing in your lifestyle. But really, like it started before his move to Tasmanian devil land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. You did say that he was... They diagnosed him with a, a little bit of bipolar or... Mm-hmm. No, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Okay. First, they thought it was just depression um, back in the 70s before they really knew, I guess, all of the, the details of that. But mm-hmm. after his next psychiatric stint in Camden, they formally diagnosed him with manic de- uh, depressive. Okay. I'll say depressed people don't have enough energy to murder. Yeah, the, the manic depressive, like, is the very, manic very part, different. Yes. Because that's, like, manic depression versus depression. Manic depression is more bipolar disorder where you have huge, yeah. huge swings where you can be on an uptick and everything's great. And then either you're depressive to the state where you can't get up out of bed or you go, like, into a crazy rage kind of state. It just didn't seem that there was very much follow through with that diagnosis either. No, and I think that's one of the huge failures that I'm I'm gonna like just briefly mention here. But before that, because I'm, I've talked about how he's a Gemini, I wanted to also talk about how his moon is in Aries. Oh, well, he made a scene. <laughs> yeah. So his moon, the moon represents the emotional responses, unconscious kind of predestination, your own self-image. His Aries moon made him a very impatient and fiery person. Aries moons live in the moment and they really can't get, can't wait to get what they want. Whims of the moment, of the moment will take absolute precedence in their lives. And this is a fiery position that makes it hard for them to see anything in the long term or be able to wait for things to happen. And instant gratification really just rules their world. Interesting. And if you have some sort of mental imbalance that already kind of makes it hard to regulate their emotions. Yeah. The moon didn't fucking help. Yeah. So this aligns actually with reports from the psychiatric evals. Psychiatrists found Hardy to be a risk to the community, especially women. Edwards and McKay quoted Dr. Alan Stewart Reed, who warned that his behavior is characterized by impulsiveness, lack of forethought about the consequences of his actions, seriously irresponsible behavior, an inability to learn from experience, and lack of concern for others' feelings. Well, there you go. So some sociopathy in there as well. But oh, yeah. Completely unpredictable, though. Like, you would never feel safe saying that he is not a danger because he could snap at any time. Yeah, completely. And I doubt he was on his meds very regularly as a homeless man. No, no. I don't think he really had access to it as regularly as they thought he mm. was going to. This is also another moment to discuss the failures of the overlap between the mental health and judiciary systems here. So despite repeated warnings from the healthcare professionals, Hardy was released because of a panel of three health managers who decided that he was of little threat to society, despite actually failing to read the report that was put forth by the (gasps) psychiatrist who actually evaluated him. 
Jesus. Oh, God. So those three didn't do their jobs and were like, yeah, he's fine. He's harmless. And just let him go. Without even reading it? Like, mm-hmm. ugh. So he was doing outpatient and then his healthcare like workers that did visits and stuff with him refused to go to his apartment. They they had to meet him in cafes and things in public because they didn't feel safe going to a private place with him. Yeah, Which no seems kidding. like a sign. Like if you don't want to be alone with him, think about the rest of society that he's out there with. Okay. Just the fact that they had access to this report and just didn't fucking read it. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So there was pressure after this in- investigation came to light to try and dismiss or fire the three managers serving on that panel, but I couldn't. <laughs> dismiss is such a nice like, I know, way to right? say it. We're gonna dismiss you now. No, we're you gotta we're go. Fucking fire you. Pack your shit and get the fuck out. I, I exactly. couldn't find anywhere if they'd actually had been fired, but yeah, so that's where that sits. I feel like probably because not like they're scapegoats, but like their name comes up like that. You gotta appease the public. Yeah. Clearly, if they couldn't read the report that was put forth by the psychiatrist, then they really should have been looking for another job anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's the story of the disgusting Hardy. (laughs) I mean, I'm still stuck on this sudden change in personality, but... Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just super weird. I'm glad Judith... Glad Judith is living her best life in Australia now, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, well, yeah, and she married him, and it sounded like they had, I don't know, six to eight happy years together, too, or he wasn't acting like a psycho, and so, like... I mean, part of them, he was seeing sex workers and not telling her. Fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what proportion of married men see sex workers, to be honest, so... Stop seeing sex workers outside of your marriage. Or wear protection, like... No, just don't do it. Okay, don't do it. Unless your wife says, yes, we're in an open relationship, don't do it. Right? If you're in a committed, monogamous relationship, don't be a fucking dick. No, yeah, you guys are right. I was I was rolling on that one. <laughs> don't do it. But people still do it. Yeah. Which is why I'm saying wrap it up so you don't ruin your wife's life when she finds out. And she also has syphilis or herpes or something. Yeah. But I mean... <sighs> Things are treatable and manageable now. I, f- I don't know, like... <sighs> I mean, don't go to sex workers. We solved the problem. It's the oldest profession for a reason, though. That's yeah. true. Yeah. No, I just feel bad for Judith, though. Like, really, seems like she had no idea. She really loved this guy. They had kids together, and she thought he was the one, and then he just suddenly, like, started to change into this completely different person that she couldn't recognize that yeah and she stood by him still and tried to get him help i have mixed feelings about that but she did try to get him help like she pleaded with him to go to a doctor and get a diagnosis and get medicated probably just to figure out like what the fuck was going on mm-hmm. yeah like tell me what's wrong with you let's let's figure this out and then we'll kind of go from there but yeah yeah okay well thank you sarah thank you <laughs> I feel dirty. Well, we've learned a very important lesson tonight. Don't see sex workers. If you're in a monogamous relationship. Or you think you might murder them. Well, yeah, don't murder people. If you have murderous tendencies, go get help. Yes, go. But, like, I I guess see them if you need to otherwise. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's a job. Like, I don't want 
they're making i want their livelihood to be supported yeah i don't know i mean there are there's programs now too i can't remember which i was listening to something recently there's programs basically that instead of arresting them and putting them in jail for trying to make ends meet they put them into rehab if they need it because of drug or substance abuse and then help them get into a system where they can learn a trade that actually Mm -hmm. will allow them to be employable oh that's and make a real living yeah and it's like that's honestly like the rehabilitation type that there needs to be in the world i think there's also a difference between the sex workers that were probably around king's cross and like the sex workers that work for like an escort company or something like yeah the ones in king's cross i feel like are in a much more just unsafe situation to begin with there's like pimps that are working with them instead which of which isn't being like helpful no yeah it just doesn't seem like a good place to be yeah so it's nice it's nice that there are programs to try to get them out of like these shady situations yeah okay well any astro lot any ass news <laughs> ass news in other news, in the ass news, uh, like the beep, 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 this just in, here's your astrology report. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I love that. All right. So on May 29th, Mercury turns retrograde in oh, Gemini. Dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. So anytime Mercury enters retrograde, it's a bad time. And even more so because Mercury rules Gemini. And it's being retrograded in Gemini this time. It's it's going to be a rough road. So double whammy. <laughs> what this means is because Mercury kind of takes care of how you communicate and how your projects work out, and you know all of your little ducks in a row. Your ducks are going to get out of a row for the time that Mercury is in retrograde until June twenty second. Damn it! It's so long, and I have so many projects and i'm already feeling the pre-retrograde yeah (gasps) my committee meeting my annual dissertation committee meeting is on june 23rd (laughs) oh mine's like fucking smack in the middle i'm so sorry oh Oh, god okay so there's gonna be more than usual miscommunications delays retractions transportation problems weird things like that happening don't make any big decisions that are going to affect you long term because the decisions that you make now might not necessarily be the right one. So why is that? Mercury is the fast moving, fastest moving planet in our solar system and it illuminates how we think and how we process information. And so that can skew our vision of how we are communicating with the world and how we're interpreting the signals that we're receiving. So it actually entered its shadow phase on May 14th. So any issues that were encountered, tough conversations and projects started then even might come up for review later on during retrograde. Hannah is holding her temples. <laughs> you know, I'm in the middle of something. I can't stop for retrograde, though. Scott won't let me. I know. Yeah. So this is the second mercurial backspin of the year. You'll want to double check all of your texts, make sure that your emails have, you know, good wording before firing them off, especially given that this retrograde does take place in Gemini. Communication. Communication. In other news. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Okay. No, you go. I couldn't end it on that because that's just too sad. That is super sad. I'm all stressed out. In other news, Venus enters Cancer on June 2nd. So that in seems Cancer, like a good place. yeah. So Cancer's that watery sign that's super touchy feely, and so in Cancer, Venus is nurturing, protective, and self-protective, and cautious. 
which is a kind of a good thing to have at the same time that's you know the, the retrogrades going on yeah especially if we need to like double check our communication yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like let that nurturing protective self-protective part kind of take care we might experience some emotional ups and downs in love under this influence due to increased like sensitivities from cancer and its impressionability. And um, we might be feeling more tender or attached during this time because cancer love is like that devoted, warm, cuddly kind of feeling. So that's, that's kind of what's going on in our heads right now. We might also show our love through care and concern. Um, so hopefully anybody else who's going through the Mercury retrograde doesn't see that concern and misinterpret it. So <laughs> you just watch watch yourself on your tone. Yeah, just put put a nice cozy blanket around all of the retrograde and say everything's going to be okay. Thank you, Venus in Cancer. <laughs> Thank you, Venus in Cancer. This is fine. All right, that's what I've got. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll let you know next week if my big experiment failed. Okay. I mean, I already have something specifically. Like, I went into a panic attack on the 14th when Mercury entered its shadow phase. And I didn't even put those pieces together until, like, an hour ago. Just now. <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, that makes sense. The okay. fucking stars. So, as Venus enters Cancer, show us the love you have for us. Please reach out. We want to hear from you. We've loved all of the feedback that we've gotten. Please check out our Twitter at True Trine, uh, Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook at TCT Podcast. I just uploaded the full music composition for our podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. We've got a few listener submittals for our TCT cat family aka murder mittens yay and you can also check us out on our website at www.truecrimetrine.com where hannah has included a tct bookshelf so check that out there's some good reads in there we need not feel ashamed of flirting with the zodiac the zodiac is well worth flirting with unless this is zodiac killer boom Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.